If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 97 of the podcast. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and support. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and our experience together on the planet. And if you love the thoughtful and informative content you get here, consider becoming a health amplifier today by joining this community over at patreon.com forward slash highway to health, or you can also find it in the show notes here. And for the price of a cup of coffee once a month, you can help us provide free resource to anyone looking to improve their health and quality of life. So excited to share this conversation today with my family's dermatologist here in Minneapolis, Dr. Elise Schuer. Uh, I have to give my wife credit for researching and finding her. She's been a real gem and helped us out with a lot. And I'm a big believer in having a team of the smartest and most thoughtful care providers you can find when it comes to your health. And in many ways, this podcast was created out of my team and my connections and the health professionals that I collaborate with regularly. And as this podcast has grown, I've been connected now to people internationally. But even with these guests, I choose them because of specific qualities that I see in them and their experience and dedication to care. And I had to do a few visits uh, with Elise this past spring to take care of a stubborn planter's word on the bottom of my foot, second one I've had in my life. And uh, this gave me a chance to get to know her a little bit better. And being the curious sort that I am, I still had a lot of questions for her about skincare. I also just turned 50 this past year and, and uh, starting to show the signs, <laughs> the obvious signs. And uh, with my face being more regularly on video on YouTube, I wanted to learn a few more anti-aging tips as well, and, and as well as some general skincare basics. And she was gracious enough to take some time out of her busy schedule to have this conversation with me. No video for this one. It's the first episode, though, that I've done in person since the beginning of the pandemic. And it was lovely to spend time with her and pick her brain. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Elise Schur. You know, I did a little research just to try to get some background on you. Okay, totally fine. <laughs> Um, and I found that you, you, were you from the East coast or did you just do your schooling out there? I did my schooling out there. I'm actually from New Mexico, hmm. um, which Where in New I Mexico? know sounds weird. Uh, Santa Fe. I love Santa Fe. I do too. Yeah. I, my I, dad grew up there and, um, I did and, but I definitely wanted to leave for college. Uh, but it's an amazing place. It's beautiful. So you, so I, so you were in Virginia, right? For undergrad mm-hmm. and then, and then. In, in the Bronx in or the something? Bronx for med school, yeah. <laughs> I, w- I was definitely out of my element in both places. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> but it was good for me. So it my, was really good for me. My, my wife lived in the Bronx in Riverdale, which is okay. like way... I know Riverdale. You know Riverdale. Yeah. Um, which is almost kind of like part of Manhattan compared to where you were. 
Uh, I agree. I was in the North Bronx, so it was right. safer than the South Bronx. But we did a lot of um, a lot of rotations and stuff in different hospitals throughout the Bronx and a couple in Manhattan too. So okay. it was it was it was good training for sure. So so how did you how how did you land in in dermatology as as your field? Very randomly, um, I had actually applied to and matched in internal medicine. Uh, this was March of my last year of medical school when, when the big match goes through. Um, I didn't even think about dermatology, but I had a couple of rotations left to do and it was kind of the end of the year. And I was yeah. like, oh, dermatology will be easy. You know, nine to five, no overnights, whatever. So I did the rotation and I absolutely fell in love with it. It was super fun. And I had met a resident there at Einstein that had switched residency programs during her intern year to go into dermatology. And I just kind of thought about it in the back of my head. And I started my intern year here in Minnesota. And it just kept lingering in the back of my head. Like, I really think I want to do that. It was so fun. So I switched residency programs. So I had to reapply, re-interview, um, you know, yep. get old recommendation letters, like all sorts of silly things. Um, but that's how I landed in it. Like very fortuitously, I could have easily done ophthalmology that month or radiology or some other sort yeah. of easier rotation. And um, but I just loved it. So. I feel like the the one thing that I mean just. I, I also ended up in a career I didn't plan on because I was an yeah. English major. Okay, I, yeah, I, I read teach. that about you. <laughs> and then, and then I, and then I, once I started getting into doing body work, I think I was just in, interested in like the, you know, the structure as a whole. And then, if there, if something gets out of balance, what are those reasons for it? And and so the nervous system became like my my thing. thing. But yeah. the thing the thing about skin is, and because I do manual therapy, and I like. You can pick up a lot of information about what's going on with someone's skin. I mean, oh, for when, sure. when, when I'm doing like a some you know any, any sort of massage work or something, you can tell by like the, the hydration levels with a person, you know, just through their skin. And so sometimes when they're when they're sort of stuck in this chronic phase, I'll I'll start you know really sort of pushing them on that to track it and make sure that they're. And sometimes it's th- like that actually resolves things. That's. Awesome. So, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure this is water is, is something that you have to. We talk about water a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, patients are like, oh, I drink, you know, ten glasses of water a day, and my skin is still dry. I'm like, well, you pee out what you don't absorb. Right. You have to kind of. Or how much it. coffee do you drink? Correct. Yeah, you have to apply <laughs> it from the outside in. It's right. not just about drinking water. So, yeah, but it's it's a hot topic of a conversation for sure. Yeah. What, what, what did you, was there anything specific with skin that you get interested in right away? I know you do surgery. And yeah, do- we do everything. Um, it was really the weird stuff. Um, and in the Bronx, especially, and similarly at HCMC here, there's a lot of weird infectious disease and like just random things. And I really liked sort of being the only one that knew about them, like, you know, other physicians would be like uh, referring rashes to us or whatever. And it's kind of fun to be the doctor's doctor in that way. And, you know, patients walk in and they're like, I have this really weird thing. And I'm like, oh, I know what that is. And it's just cool. Um, And so it wasn't the surgery. It wasn't the cosmetics. And I do all of that stuff and I love it. Um, But the thing that drew me to it was just the totally bizarre stuff that was out there that, that I got to see and do. Yeah. Um, so, so what is, what was, I, I didn't see, and I, I never heard of Albert Einstein school for, what is it? So Albert Einstein college of medicine, college of it's medicine. part of Yeshiva university. Um, uh-huh. and it's, it's 
at the time it was one of the top 25 med schools in the country. I don't know what its rank is at the moment. Um, So it was a lot of Jewish medical students, definitely some that weren't. um, I was one of them. Uh, It was, it was great. It was a really great education. When, when, When was it founded? Do you know? Oh, that is a good question. I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I imagine it's been there for some time. I think it's been around time. the block for a while, yeah. But there there are a lot of schools like that in New York that I find out about later on that, that are like super well-known, yeah, it was kind of really, smallish. It wasn't really on my radar. And then I, I, when I was in Virginia, it was, it was very Southern there. And I was like, I think I need to go to the Northern part of the East Coast and see what that's like. And yeah. I wanted to be in New York. So, you know, you do your research on the medical schools in New York and, and it popped up. And when I interviewed there, I was scared to death to go. I had never, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I've really never even been to New York, let alone the Bronx. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but anyway, I got in and, um, it was great. Yeah. I mean, I was drawn there. I lived there for 13 years, um, but more to Brooklyn and, and partly because I, I just liked these little neighborhood communities okay. and I had some friends out there. And I was 30 when I went, so I was, I was you know, I, I kind of like jumped from everything that I had already started here, which was a little difficult. I already started a private practice. I had to start over again. Okay. And then a year after I got there, 9-11 happened. But in some ways, there was, stu- you know, some of that stuff really like solidified who I, I mean, I'm, some of the work I ended up getting involved with after that too was like, I became sort of an important person in that specific community that I was in. Okay. And then, you know, there's... There's a lot of these little communities, and then eventually everyone hears it's about am- you. Yeah, so it's it, amazing. You can get busy very fast and then be a little overwhelmed. Okay. It's a little, here I feel like it's a little easier to manage here. It is. There's a lot, there's a lot less background noise, <laughs> yeah. uh, for sure. And just life in general is a little easier. <laughs> how, how, long is, how long have you had Market Street Dermatology? So we opened in November of 2013, so almost eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, it went by really quickly. Did you did you work for somebody else out of residency then? Uh, yes, out of residency, I worked for a bigger group practice um, in the eastern suburbs, dermatology consultants. It was okay. actually my first job after residency. Yeah. Um, it was great. I was there for about 10 years. And uh, one of my colleagues who was working at a different office uh, for the same company uh, and I are actually neighbors or relative neighbors and... We just started talking about starting our own little personalized practice on this side of the river, and and then it came true. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, and, and and you and I have something similar in that we both we treat a lot of sort of age, you know, as, as far as population is concerned. Because I I work with everyone from newborns yeah. <laughs> to uh, and, and I and a lot of times I see a lot of uh, you know stuff pop up sometimes with newborns, sometimes with kids. I like to have like a good referral network, so you are on my referral network now. <laughs> Absolutely, we we will see zero to one hundred is what I say, and probably one hundred fifty yeah. now. You know, but it's nice because sometimes when you're working with these different, you know, family members, you know, I'll be working with you know a baby and grandmother at the yeah. same time and I, stuff. I love that. I, I, it makes I me love really happy to be able to do that. Yeah, and 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 I think there's there's something like the, an instinct that you develop from from working with a whole family too. Like you kind of you kind of get a sense of the ecosystem and. You know, probably there's some dietary things or some stress management things or whatever that you can help them with because you sort of see a trend, you know, you know, with with people. And sometimes I work with extended family members of theirs, too, and you yeah, kind of see it in the culture a little it's, bit. That's amazing. Um, and it's it's really interesting to watch the kids grow up and. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe I've been practiced long enough to watch kids grow up and have their own kids. It's totally weird to me. I know. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I totally agree with you. Yeah. 
So, so what is your, what's your favorite thing to, to work with? So my favorite thing to treat, uh, this is going to sound a little silly, but my favorite thing to treat is acne. Yeah. Um, it's a game changer and my, for people. My son, my son has come to see you for this, by okay, the way. Okay, good. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's getting ready to start college, but I think he came to see you a couple years ago. And his skin looks great, by the way. So, oh, good. And, okay. and it was a couple of different rounds. And some of it was like him being, you know, better about actually self-care yeah. and self-maintenance stuff. Totally. It's, I mean, it's very hard to treat people that aren't motivated. Yeah. You know, a lot of uh, parents will drag their kids in, so to speak. Yeah. Um, most of the time, the kids are motivated. To, and it's not just kids that get acne. Obviously, it's adults right, as well. Right. But um, I love treating it. It... Uh, people are so happy when yeah. their skin looks good yeah. and they feel good. It's sort of, you know, if you look good, you feel good. And I yeah. actually think that's very true. Yeah. Um, or if you think you look good, you feel good. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I struggled with, with kind of back knee issues from in sports a lot. And I'm sure I picked up something or, you know, it's hard, hard to say, but it, I didn't end up really dealing with it until my twenties, which was like, Oh my God, why did I why wait so I long? Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people do, but what's so so? Tell tell me about why why we get kind of stuck in those in those cycles and, and what what you do to treat it. You know, I think uh, a lot of people believe that acne is one of those things that everybody gets, and you get over it. Or, and, yeah, and you know, you just have to go through that phase in your life, and then you're done, and life yeah. goes on. Yeah. Um, it's not true, but you know, I would say that a lot of mentality is that oh, you know, it's not that bad. Uh, you'll get over this by the time you go to college yeah. and and that will, you know, that's it. And uh, it's just not true. And the reason that we treat it really is to prevent scarring um, yeah. and to prevent kids from remembering in adulthood that they had, you know, acne in their childhood. And yeah. it can be really traumatic for some people too. Oh, totally. Um, really, and like, you know, boys don't want to take off their shirts when they're playing basketball yeah. or they don't want to wear a swimsuit. Uh the makeup, the hats, the, you know, it, it really, people work very hard to hide it. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's all consuming sometimes. So, so what, what do you, what do you usually suggest is, is, I mean, are there like safer or more natural methods or? You yeah. Know? I mean, it runs, it really runs the gamut and it sort of depends on uh, what kind of acne the, you know, the patient has. Some people will come in and, you know, they'll have, I mean, some kids have like two pimples and they're wigging out about it. Um, and other people have horrible cystic acne that come in for a different reason. I'm like, Hey, do you want to talk about your acne? Yeah, yeah. You know? So it runs, it really depends on the type of acne that they have. It also depends, you know, if it's a child parent, what the parent is comfortable with. Uh, I think a lot of parents or older, you know, parents are, again, think kids are get over it. So why give them a systemic medication or why right. give them something, you know, that has side effects if, yeah. uh, you know, if they're just going to get over this anyway. Right. Uh, so as far as all natural products, I mean, I don't know that I, a lot of people come in having tried a lot of things, yeah. essential oils, um, other things, but generally they, they sort of walk in the door after they've tried, they've tried everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a limited, you know, it's an interesting population that yeah. they've, it's kind of like when we see warts, like I only see the ones where the over the counter stuff doesn't work because right. if it did work, they wouldn't be in my office, yeah. that kind of thing. And, and I, I, I came to see you for this. So. Okay. <laughs> I really didn't. Okay. I didn't mean to. No, really but, <laughs> but it's the second time I've had a planter's wart and yeah. they're, and they're just like, they, my, it wasn't that bad, luckily, but yeah. I mean, it's just, it, 
it, it wasn't going away. And I had, I had one when I was younger that all oh, the same thing. Like, I think I probably dealt with it when I dealt with my back knee or whatever, but it just <laughs> like, I don't know, I don't know why it would, you know, take me so long to come do that. And it's not really yeah. that bad it's of a process. It's, you know, it's, it, it's, especially with warts, you don't even feel them sometimes. Yeah. You don't even realize you have them. Yeah. So. And, and, and I think the other thing is there, there are some people who, and I, 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 you know, I hear this because I'm working with people with, without many clothes on a lot of times. And so they have certain things that they're, that they're really self-conscious about and you don't realize it. And sometimes it's like a planter's ward or something, you know, yes. and, and yet they don't, they haven't even thought of, or they can't get their head around like where to start, you know, looking for treatment and stuff. So. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. When, you know, when I do skin checks and things um, similar, people need to get totally undressed and. Um, I'm explaining why I'm looking between their toes. And, you know, they're like, <laughs> right. they're like, oh my god, I didn't get a pedicure. Like, I don't really care. I, I, I don't care. I just want to make sure you're healthy. How many feet I see? A yeah, day. exactly. <laughs> I used to work at the VA. That's fine. I can I can handle any kind of foot. Yeah. Anyways, you know, things like that. I agree. Do, do you ever have um, something where, that you can sort of diagnose through the skin, or do you have? Is, is, do you have a network of people if you see something where you think there may be something you know more systemic going on? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of skin disease that indicates um, some kind of internal problem, whether yeah. like psoriasis, for example, can be associated with obesity, diabetes, alcohol use. Right. I mean, those things. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a million there's a million things, hair loss and thyroid disease. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just to name a couple off the top of my head, but we do a lot of work, um, not just externally, but sort of what that lends to as far as an internal problem potentially. So, so, so do you, do you work with someone then who's like, say like working with endocrine system issues it or? It really depends. Uh, you know, for psoriasis, I feel like I can counsel them on weight loss and, and goals for treat. And, you know, a lot of patients don't know that, God, if I lost 10 pounds, I'd probably look and feel a lot better. Right. If somebody has a thyroid issue or, you know, some kind of hormonal imbalance, I'll generally refer back to their primary physicians or yeah. to endocrine or to wherever yeah. we need to. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, you know, the, the one thing I, I get a lot of referrals for autonomic, you know, nervous system related things. And I, and I see a lot of times, People will have a lot of chronic pain issues, but they'll they also have psoriasis and eczema and all these other things, and and I feel like there's there's a part of my work that you know surprisingly or or a, you know a histamine issue or something that helps to like settle the system, and then as that happens, a lot of times these skin things start to clear up too, and they're always a little bit surprised. Yeah. And so I talked, I mean, my, my side of this is that I, I start working with them on like stress management strategies and, sure. and, you know, sometimes they haven't also haven't been to a dermatologist yet. So if you have any stress management strategies to lend my way, I would be more than happy. <laughs> you know, patients ask a lot, well, is this from stress? Right. Uh, and I'm like, well, generally it's not from stress, but stress makes everything worse. Right. Um, you know, it bumps up your cortisol levels. Right. I mean, it just, but it's really hard to avoid it. That's that, um, that and, and I try to teach just a little bit from from that level. Like, if if you are in more of that fight or flight or freeze mode, that's also bringing up all that side of your endocrine system that is, you know, basically putting out fires. And you know, inflammation is part of that. Yeah. Cortisol is part of that. Adrenaline, so your your adrenals get really tapped. So that's that's the stuff that I think that if I'm if I'm able to work with someone, and sometimes it's just like a you know a few sessions, they just kind of they sleep better. I mean, it's another one of those things. So then they can heal. Sure. And and sometimes they're just like they can't really they can't focus anymore. If once those things start to you know get in line, then a lot of times they can like 
focus on their diet. They can they they feel sure. you know, enough energy to exercise, and it starts to kind of snowball in the, in, the, in the positive direction too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, I agree. Is there, is there anything this time of year now that we're kind of coming into the summer that uh, that you start talking about with people? I mean, is, is well, it's, I mean, some things are funny. Like people start to notice their spider veins on their legs, for example. They're yeah. like, oh, you know, I'm going to be getting in a swimsuit. And I'm like, well, we can't treat those right now because they look terrible for like about a month after, after you treat you do them. It. Yeah. And so that's something that we do in the fall and the winter. Right. Um, there are skin conditions like melasma where you get extra pigmentation in the skin from yeah. sun exposure. Um, a lot of the treatments um, kind of need to be done in the winter um, and you have to educate people about sun protection in the summer. So those are those are two things that come up um, a lot, I would say. Are there, are, the are there certain people or certain populations that, ha- that have more trouble with melasma? I don't, I mean, certainly more, more women than men. Okay. Um, although I do see men with melasma too. Um, darker skin types, it, it tends to be a little bit more prominent in appearance, but I don't know that it's necessarily of higher incidence in that population. Okay. It might be. Um, I feel like I, I feel like it runs the gamut, at least in my own limited experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in terms of sun exposure, is, is there anything that you coach as far as how to protect or for melasma yeah. patients or, I, or just, or just for anybody. And, but you can, yeah, just, I especially mean, for them. Yeah. I mean, melasma, well, let's, I'll, I guess I'll start with just general population. I mean, patients ask all the time, what SPF should I use, et cetera. What I usually say is whatever you'll use, I like, um, but I rec- you know, if you use it, I'll be happy. Yeah. Uh, but I recommend SPF of 30 or higher. Yeah. Um, it should say that it's broad spectrum, meaning it provides, um, protection against UVA and UVB rays, yeah. uh, and that it's water resistant. Those okay. are sort of the three features I'm looking for. And how, how long is that stuff good for? Like, I, just, I feel like I run into this every spring. Yeah, it's like, a good question. Is good this question. still good? Yeah. So <laughs> the, F, the FDA is not allowed to market, or people are not allowed to market a sunscreen without FDA approval um, if it doesn't last for three years. So it should mm. be a three-year thing. That being said, if there's an expiration date on the bottle, and sometimes there's no expiration date. So yeah. if you bought it a year ago and there's no expiration date, totally feel free to use it. If there's an expiration date, toss it. Yeah. Um, but it really can't get approved for use unless it can last about oh, three years right? in the bottle. Okay. Yeah. So it used. I remember used to. Uh, I used to teach people. It was only you know it's good for a year, but I realize that's not true. Yeah. Uh, so, you know we're. Throw it out if you're in doubt is what I would say. And 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 the benefits of say vitamin D that people always f- feel like they, they they don't want to use the sunscreen because right. of that. Is there a safe period of time to go without sunscreen, or what you, really, what's your feeling? There really isn't. I mean, the vitamin yeah. D that you get from sun exposure is really inconsistent. Um, the more sun you get, doesn't mean you make more vitamin D, and you can get vitamin D through other sources. Yeah. The we know sun is a carcinogen. Yeah. So to me, I would rather drink some fortified orange juice, uh, eat some fish, and wear sunscreen than yeah. try to get my vitamin D through the sun. So I don't. There really isn't a period of time where you want to be in the sun without sunscreen. Yeah. In a perfect dermatology world. Right. And and I, th- I think when 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 I when you did my check, I'm trying to think. Was there was something I, I said to you about? Because I saw a lot of sun when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I did landscaping work, and I you know I was just always outside. And and I think you said something about like the damage that's been done has really already been done. Correct. So can't do anything about that. So, but you can protect the 
the, you can protect the, 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 the DNA the, the damage future. going forward. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. By sun protection, skin checks, self-exams. I mean, the sun protection part, though, is the, is the real part that helps prevent that DNA damage that's going to change your cells into right. cells that divide abnormally, causing cancer. And, and is, is your skin better at, at protecting that from damage when you're younger? Does it, does it break down? It doesn't change as far, it really depends on your skin type as far as if you're better able to protect yourself from that damage. Yeah. But anytime you change the color of your skin, whether it's a tan or a burn, you're damaging you're, your yeah. DNA. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't improve with time. It really doesn't. In fact, I probably, I would guess it gets worse with time uh, just because our cells aren't as, as good yeah. at doing what they, they did when they were younger in yeah. many ways. So, so, so how, how often do you suggest people do skin checks then? It really depends on your risk factors yeah. and your history. Um, there, it's not like you know we ha you know we have recommendations for mammograms you know starting at age forty or thirty five, colonoscopies every year or right. every five years ten right. years. Um, there really isn't a guideline for that for skin exams. Uh, if you have over fifty moles, you're at higher risk. Come in. Um, if you've had a history of skin cancer, depending on the type, I'm going to want to see you every year. Yeah. If you come in and you have a pretty normal exam and you don't have a lot of moles, I can, you know, you could probably wait a couple of years. So it really depends on your skin type and what your risk factors are yeah. and what your history is right. and your family history too. Family history of melanoma increases your propensity for getting that skin cancer. Does, does elevation have any factor on that? Elevation, the UV, the UV rays are um, stronger at yeah. higher elevations, so you will burn more easily. Okay, but that's that's about it. Okay, yeah. And and um, so with basic skincare, are there, are there different kinds of SPFs that you would use for your face versus your your body, or is it the same? Thirty stuff, or basically? higher. Doesn't yeah, really I mean. Most people want something more cosmetically elegant for the face right. than they do for the body, and thankfully there's a million different formulations right. now right. for sunscreen. Uh, but if you want to use, you know, zinc oxide paste on your face and all over your body, you can totally do that, and that's fine with me. Right, that, that's good to know. I mean, I, it's one of those things that, like, I, I'm never quite sure whether I'm doing myself good or not when it comes to it these just, things. Just use it. That's all I can and say. I, I if feel you like use it, I'll be happy. <laughs> it's a simple. It seems like it's such a simple one, but. You know, I, I feel like I get stuck in that and then think, well, I, I you know, I, this feels like too much for my face or I need to have more on for my face, whatever the, yeah. whatever the case is. I mean, I think a lot of people pay more attention to their faces uh, yeah, right. just, you know, because of cosmetic and reasons and, and, and the hands and they do get more sun exposure than the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, at the very minimum, you want to get stuff on your face and hands every day. So are there, are there any like specific skincare regimens you, you suggest to people considering that our face and our hands are the one thing that we kind of in the décolleté or how yeah, you say it? Yeah, <laughs> the uh, th Those are the areas where most people want to make sure that they're probably doing a little extra care. Is there, sure. is there anything that you suggest for that? I mean, again, it depends on your, your skin and, you know, your history um, and your age. A lot of people are looking for ways to prevent premature aging, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. Sun protection is number one, two, three, four, and five. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, on top of that, really good moisturizer. Um, you know, moisture moisturizer is trapping water in your skin. Uh, you will look more youthful if you're more hydrated. Yeah. 
Retinols can help. Um, they help with cell turnover. They help prevent DNA damage in the skin. They help build up collagen in the skin. Not everybody can tolerate retinols because they're drying to the skin. Right. Uh, and I often recommend antioxidants, topical antioxidants as well. Okay. Um, again, depending on if your skin gets irritated or not with okay. some of those products. And there's other things one can do too, but I would say those are the three things I most commonly recommend. And what about what about cleaning the skin, like like regularity as far as morning and evening? Because I, yeah. I I just did one not, not, episode not too long ago with someone in, who does holistic dentistry work and was sort of surprised to learn that a lot of what we're doing is sort of stripping away some natural, you know. Correct, absolutely. Is it, is it similar with the skin? I would, I usually tell people no more than twice a day. Uh, okay. I have a lot of people coming in sort of obsessed with face washing and, you know, they're doing, and they bring wipes everywhere and yeah. and they're really stripping their skin and, and making it look worse than it needs to. Right. Twice a day is more than adequate for washing And, there, and there's a good layer of probably some, some sort of helpful bacteria that's, that's, that is doing something Correct. for cell turnover and actually... Absolutely. And, you know, it just, it, at some point there's no, there's no return. Uh, no good return for all of that work. Right. So be nice to your face. I always tell people, you know, I hate, I don't like the scrubs and the beads and okay. you just you gentle hypoallergenic cleanser twice a day, moisturizer. You're good to go. Okay. Yeah. Be and nice. What about what about blackheads? What, what's and that's one of the things my son has had a lot of questions about. So <laughs> yeah, blackheads. I mean, they're we all have them. Right. Uh, right. You know, there there are pores that sort of get filled. With keratin that gets oxidized, that confers the black color to the skin. Okay. Um, you know, washing your face and then topical retinoids are probably the most helpful for blackheads and whiteheads. And you know, there's tricks to using it so that you can tolerate retinoids. They're they're very drying to the skin potentially, uh, but they work nicely to to help clear out those pores. You know, we can also do chemical peels for those things. Right. Um, but they're part of our normal anatomy a little bit too. Yeah. Are there, are there any products? I mean, obviously you guys sell products, but for people who are buying sort of over-the-counter stuff, is there anything that you are a little leery of people using or are there any known things that are just sort of bad for the skin that could contribute to more breakouts or to I really, drying or whatever? I really am having an issue with essential oils for the skin. I am ah. seeing, I mean, people love their essential oils uh, and I get it, but you know, they clog pores uh, if you're using them on your face. And we see a lot of allergies. Which, which ones? I mean, I would say a lot of people come in, using, come in using like a rosehip oil. That's probably the most common acne one that I see. Mm. Um, and tea then tree? Tea, tree, tea tree oil I'm okay with, actually. Okay. Yeah. It seems to it's have kind some, of astringent, isn't it? Or? It has some anti-inflammatory properties. It does, okay. So, but generally speaking, like lavender oil, I'm... I'm can't even name off the top of my head what some folks are, are buying. Um, and then I see a lot of not just acne related to that, but more commonly contact dermatitis from it. People are really allergic to these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even things that they, you know, they're like, well, I've been using this for 10 years. Well, you can develop allergy to something even if you have been using it for yeah, 10 years. Right. And people really hold on tight to those oils. Um, so that's all I can say. And they smell nice. And they so smell that's, lovely. And, they really and, and do. They're, they're in so many different products, they're too. They're in now. everything. They really are. So I just don't like them as a skincare treatment. So put them in like an air diffuser. And well, even with the air diffusers, that. you can get an airborne contact. Yeah, I suppose. Dermat I mean, 
I, we see a lot of it. That's all I can Is say. That right? Yeah, we really do. How, how much do we, I mean, I know like, don't we absorb like 80% of what gets put on our skin or some, some percentage? Maybe? I'm sure, I don't know the percentage. We absorb, I mean, a, a our lot. skin, that's where everything gets, our skin and our GI tract, that's right. how everything gets through. Yeah. 80%? Yes. I, don't, I, I, don't, mean, I thought that's what I heard at yeah. some point, but so, but but airborne too, just environmental toxins and stuff Absolutely. actually get in too. They do. And that's why, you know, for anti-aging purposes, we recommend the topical antioxidants uh, because they're going to prevent that sort of environmental damage from changing the DNA in your skin. Yeah. And you can't just take a lot of vitamin C and vitamin E, you'll pee it out. Right. So it's nice to have these formulations that get to where they need to go okay. to prevent those things from happening. Are, th- are there any, um, as, as far as anti-aging is concerned, and I feel like, you know, Minnesota is probably not as big of a, a place for this. I'm sure if you lived out on the West Coast, it'd be a whole different, you'd be in a different practice. It's bigger than you think. <laughs> It's bigger than you think, though. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, but but you know, are there, do you do you try to you know coach that whole process to make sure that people don't really overdo things? Absolutely. I mean, I would our practice. I think very intentionally and very specifically, we really want people to look natural. Yeah. Um, we don't want really people to say, "Oh my God, I look so different than I did." I want them to think they look better yeah. and they feel good about it, but I don't want their friends and family to notice that they had anything done, if that right. makes sense. So I think the approach to it is really to dial it down and just be conservative about it. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean you can't do things, but right. you know, I have patients that come in with already enormous lips, for example, from an outside provider, gotcha. and then they want more lip filler. And I've said no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, nope, we got to let that dissolve for six months and then come on back and we can try it again. Uh, or I'll sometimes dissolve it. Uh, even oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, our practice, we're very, we're very focused on making people look natural and normal. And we do a lot of cosmetic work. I think about 30% of what I do is okay. cosmetic. Yeah. Um, but I think we just have a, a more conservative approach to it. And, and what's the percentage of, I'm just curious about men to women as far as... For cosmetics? For, for more cos- men than you'd think, but I would, I would, the majority, I mean, I'd say 80-20. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For sure. And, and are there any things that you would, you would say that are, that are like invasive, but minimally that, that you, that you recommend to people if they're, if they're feeling, you know, whatever, you know, overly crinkly or... Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of things. One, one thing that I've really liked to do over the last five, six years is a procedure called microneedling, which can, oh, treat, yeah, yeah. Um, it can treat a lot of things. Um, it helps with pore size, helps with fine lines and wrinkles, scars. Um, and it's also a means to be able to deliver medication and other things into the skin so it can penetrate better. Um, it involves taking these little tiny oscillating needles and driving either growth factors that stimulate collagen production or hyaluronic acid, which stimulates moisture or medication into the skin better. Okay. Um, and there's really minimal downtime with it. It's about a day of being pink huh. um, and people love it. I really, really like it for acne scars. I, it's been a game changer for oh, us is that in dermatology. Right? Yes. It's really great. Because because before that, you would just try peels or something, right? Peels and, uh, you know, ablative lasers. And I'm not saying there's not a place for those things still. There there are. And it's not 100% improvement with the microneedling, but we can make a dramatic difference for people. Uh, it's, it's one of the better technologies that's been developed. And it's 
who would think to take needles and oscillate them all over the skin? Um, but they're just little micro channels that are created. Are they, are they like, is it, is it single or is, or is it like a, a whole section of needles? There, it's sort of... about 11, 12 little teeny tiny needles okay. that oscillate up and I've down. I've seen those little rollers that you can do on the Similar skin. Similar to which that, but these go little... a little deeper. Okay. Yeah. And then you can, you can actually infuse the skin with we something. We can choose whatever that. we want. Most people will do, you know, for anti-aging purposes, we'll put a little hyaluronic acid and, and some collagen stimulating growth factors into the skin with that. Uh, but sometimes we'll add in medication as well, or we'll do a chemical peel afterward as well to get the peel to penetrate a little bit better. Yeah. So it's, it's a neat procedure. And is there, is there a way to keep the skin, you know, I mean, with like, what, what is, what is hyaluronic High hyaluronic acid. <laughs> acid. Our skin normally makes it. Right, right. Um, it's kind of what causes, you know, it's what retains our water. It leads to our plumpiness and, and right. uh, you know, little babies with their cherub skin. Yeah. Uh, we lose it with age and right. with time. And so if you can put it into the skin, either topically or with fillers, which is what most fillers are made of, okay. they work to attract water to the skin to kind of plump it up and uh, make it look more youthful. And and what about what about with lip lip fillers? Is that is that the same kind of material or it is usually the, it should be the same kind of material. There's yeah. other materials out I, there that I, I that I don't generally use, but yeah. I I typically use always use hyaluronic acid uh, to fill the lips. Um, there's thinner and thicker versions of hyaluronic acid, so depending on the area of the face that I'm treating. I'll use a thinner one, you know, for the lips or the area under the eyes and a thicker one to create bigger volume out laterally in the face, that kind of thing. Yeah. There's a lot to choose from right now, which is nice for okay. us as dermatologists. Are there, are there, are there any things that you just will not use in your, in your practice? Is there anything that you know of that's sort of hard for us to process? Or silicone. I mean, I would never, silicone? I wouldn't touch sil- silicone. It, it stays forever. <laughs> But, but Botox is something that you... We are, do a lot of Botox yeah. uh, and similar toxins. Uh, I love it. I think it's a really nice way to minimally invasively, you know, create a more youthful appearance to the skin, especially with frown wrinkles in the upper part of the face. Yeah. It, it's pretty magical. Well, it's interesting because I, and I, I, because I work with people with chronic headache, headaches and yeah. stuff, it's being used for that. So people will like... Also target the places where they have the the frown lines yeah. or the, and and the interesting thing about this and this this gets back to my sort of nervous system stuff is that there is there is an aspect of of the way that we sort of pattern that you know and once it gets locked in it's actually really hard to release and there's there's a lot of evidence that shows that people who basically get stuck with these frown lines also stay with you know it's like a certain amount of compression on your you know your cranials that that makes you feel a certain way and it actually starts to contribute and that a lot of times when people have you know the, the botox done the you know it takes a few days right before it starts to kind of have have an impact Correct. But then, but then for for a few months, a lot of times it'll it'll be this opportunity to reset, and I see that it works really well, sort of in coordination with like what I've been doing too. It absolutely, I think you're absolutely right about that. Uh, and interestingly, I think you know the longer patients do it, I think your your muscles almost forget to contract in that crazy way that they do sometimes, yeah. and so you need less over time sometimes. Okay, uh, and the lines that are sort of set there at rest really do tend to soften yeah. uh, the longer one does it. And I, I, I tell people about this as far as just, you know, trying to free up, you know, some kind of chronic 
tightness issue or something too is that the nervous system just loves patterns mm -hmm. it's it makes it really efficient so we don't have to like relearn to do things over and over again and those those you know that oh, yeah. all that forehead sort of pressure that that happens with those I wake <laughs> those up muscles, with I wake up squinting or jaw yeah, stuff jaw clenching um I I personally have, you know, had the big 11 lines or have had them since I was a kid. Uh, I remember having a seventh grade teacher that told me if I kept frowning, I would, I would have really big lines as a grown up. Um, anyway, she's, she's alive and well. And I, I told her about it and what I do now. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it, it makes a nice difference. So, so what, what is your program? What, what do you do what for do yourself? I do? Yeah. Uh, as far as procedures, the things I've had done are Botox, and I've definitely had some filler done. Okay. To my, my I don't do it to myself. Yeah. But I have my partner do it for me. Um, and I've done some laser procedures to get rid of brown spots. Okay. Uh, that's about it for me. Yeah, what is that? What is that procedure? What do you, What do you do with with with? There? I mean, some people do it for like age spots and things, right? Yeah, we have a couple options for those. Uh, we have one laser that. You know, if you have one or two little brown spots that bother you, we can just hit one or two spots and get rid of them. Um, a lot of people, the majority of people have, you know, yes, they have one or two spots, but they probably have a lot of background sun damage beyond that. Yeah. And so we'll try to do more of a full face procedure. Most often I do them in the fall and winter again, because you don't want to have a lot of sun exposure after you're doing these kind yeah. of things. Uh, it's a laser called Fraxel, uh, and it's... It does a beautiful job getting rid of kind of all of the background dispigmentation in the skin. How does it get? How does it get rid of it? It targets melanin pigment in the skin, okay. so it it just sees the pigment uh, and it kind of destroys destroys carbon dioxide and and water bonds in the skin, and you just kind of shed and peel. It's lovely. And and do, do people do it for like birthmarks that are sort of not for birthmarks. Okay. Uh, we have other lasers for vascular birthmarks. Okay. If, um, generally we don't treat pigmented birthmarks with lasers, but yeah. there are some vascular birthmarks that we will treat with a different type of laser. Cause I see, you know, because I treat babies, I see a few babies who come through with like some pretty, pretty you know, serious yeah. ones. And, and a lot of times they will fade, you know, over, over time you get the, like the, what is it called? Strawberry melangiomas mm -hmm. and things. And, and, you know, you know, you can sort of see it in there because I've gotten to treat a lot of these little ones until they're like teenagers. Now. <laughs> I've seen just the, the way that it sort of fades over they time, yes. but, but there are certain ones that, that actually just do, do not change. Sure. And even those ones that involute, depending on the anatomical location, like for example, the eyelid or the nose or the yeah. lips, uh, we often, even though they go away on their own, we do recommend treating them because the the skin malformations and and things that can happen um, as a result can be pretty gnarly. Are they, are they more sensitive to sun if they have something like that? That's no, no, okay, no. But usually, I'll refer those. You know, they're little babies, and you got to treat them when they're before they start to get. You know, they start out small, they get big, and then they get small. If yeah. you treat them in that very first phase the ideal time to do it and I'll usually send those kids over to the university uh, for some laser treatment and they, ah. they're kind of knocked out for it okay uh, and it, it it's important to do well this is fascinating yeah I, it's I fun stuff into this. <laughs> it's really, I'm telling you dermatology is really fun yeah um, so I'll, I'll, I'll plug Marcus Tree Dermatology it's it's in the um what, I'm trying, International trying. Market International Square. International Market Square. Yeah. I actually had my prom there, which is really funny. A lot of patients will say, oh, I had, I've been to a wedding here. I had my graduation party here. Yes, for sure. Um, and... Um, and, the, you, and you have some information up on on your site too. I noticed with you know for you just if you're just trying to kind of get a sense of of what kinds of, what kinds of things you can do for different conditions. 
We do. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, so, and we are we are updating our website. Um, I gave you a new pro I gave you a new headshot. We're we are trying to update our website. Uh, I think we haven't updated it in a little while. Okay. So. I like it. I, th- I feel like it was really easy to find information on there. So for anyone We want it to be really simple. We'll, it I'll, won't be any more complicated. It'll just It'll just look a little different. And I'll, I'll throw it up in the show notes here for anyone who's oh, listening. Okay. And, and it'll be it'll be on the website as well. So. Great. Thank you. Thanks for doing this with me. This is great. It's already over? Yeah. Oh, wow. That went by fast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Dr. Elise Schuer, folks. You may have heard that our skin is the largest organ in our body. It's important to find yourself a good dermatologist because not only can they treat what comes up, they can also glean a lot of information by looking at it. And as Elise shared here, a good dermatologist will have referrals for you if they suspect there's more going on from what they notice on the surface so that you get the proper care needed. We covered a lot here, but if you still have questions, feel free to reach out to me on our contact page at highway2.health. That's highwayto.health. Elise said she's happy to answer any follow-ups and possibly come on again to cover something more thoroughly if you request it. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.